Well, good morning. As the staff gathered to pray this morning before our time of worship, um, Steve wasn't there yet, and so we started to talk about uh, who was going to do what, and uh, Steve came in at the last minute, and as he usually does, by the way, um, <laughs> and uh, he shared with us the story of Mariah, and uh, I gave him the opportunity. It was so great, and we hadn't planned it that I was already going to talk about Mariah this morning, and I said, you can take the message if you want it, and he didn't go for it. So after rock, paper, scissors, he got the prayer and I got the message. So, <laughs> um, so this morning we begin this series on being devoted. And this series, we want to link back to Vision Sunday that um, in, back in September when we talked about uh, the vision for ministry here at St. John's and where we had hoped to go uh, in the future. And so we're going back to the book of Acts, chapter 2, that scripture in uh, verses 42 through 47, where we see the Acts church, this new church that is filled with uh, many new believers and people who are eyewitnesses to some of the miracles and the things of the time. And so we begin in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to go back to the beginning of my uh, faith journey, which takes us to the sixth grade. And there is a picture there that's going to come up of me and my sixth grade yearbook. I'm not sure how to take your laughter, but... You've seen those commercials for the Chia Pet? (laughs) I think there should be one in my name. But that is actually a photograph from my sixth grade yearbook. And next to our pictures in the yearbook were stats. Okay? And so uh, the first thing that shows up next to your picture is your address. (laughs) Because those were the days when people actually sent things to your home. Like cards and letters and so on. Um, My hobbies... My likes and dislikes, my funniest memory in the sixth grade, which uh, was, by the way, getting stuck on the monkey bars, and then the bell ringing and everyone going into the school and leaving me stranded on the monkey bars, on the top of the monkey bars. That was my funniest moment. And then in sixth grade, my goal was to go to college and then into the ministry. And so I can tell you that from that time to today, and we could take that picture down now. Um, <clears throat> from that time to today, I could tell you that the journey has taken me through many roadblocks, detours, U-turns, and dead ends. But I stand before you this morning because of a journey of faith. And I believe that there's a long road that's still ahead in my journey. And I'm not yet certain where it's going to take me before ultimately it takes me home. 
But I'm certain that down the road, I'm going to learn more about true devotion from the people I choose to do life with. And I'm certain that those people include the people who are sitting right here with me this morning. Because true devotion includes time spent with fellow believers who will devote themselves to one another and to the calling of the local church. And so I believe that in order for us to truly understand uh, this portion of scripture, we need to dissect this word devoted. How we relate to this portion of scripture is uh, directly affected by how well we can relate to what true devotion is. Devotion is personal. How it plays out in everybody's life is unique to the individual. It's a matter of the heart. How committed we are to something or someone is directly related to how we understand what it means to be devoted. And so the questions that we want to address this morning and throughout this series is, number one, what does it take to be completely devoted to Christ and to the teachings of the church? Secondly, where can we grow in the area of devotion? And then the third question, how can we demonstrate devotion in our lives? Devotion should not be taken lightly in any relationship. A boss assumes that his employees are going to be devoted to the work of the company and the goals of the organization. A spouse takes wedding vows to heart and expects the other to do the same. And a true follower of Jesus and one who has given their life to Christ is expected to be devoted to his will, his word, and his church. And so this Acts church was new and it was on fire. There was a a clear vision for what the church should look like and and how they should act based on the newness of the, the people involved in their mission. The early church was built on the foundation of pure devotion. There was a a group of people committing themselves to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, spending time together, and being reverent in their prayers and other forms of worship. Their devotion was apparent in the way they lived their lives, and it came from a burning desire within them to see people come to know Christ, grow the church, and ultimately grow the kingdom of God. One could say that Uh, Their devotion was uh, because these early parishioners were fueled by the time frame in which they lived. Sure, if we had people who were eyewitnesses to miracles, spent time around the campfire with Jesus, and saw the empty tomb, we too could be a church on fire like the Acts Church. But I tell you this morning that devotion comes in many forms, and it's directly related to experiences, to our resources, to our talents and abilities. And however it plays out in our lives, Christ is meant to be the object of our devotion. And he provides the opportunity, the strength, and the courage when we submit to him and to his will. So I want to take a look this morning at three biblical characters who show us what true devotion looks like. First, we go to the scene in Bethany. You've heard the story many times where Mary and Martha are serving a meal at the home of Lazarus. From John chapter 12, if you're flipping through and following with me, John chapter 12, we're looking at the first 
eight verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Mary was washing the feet of Jesus. Mary humbled herself before Jesus in dedication and devotion to who he was and what he meant to her. We read that Mary used this extravagant, costly oil. She used a pint of oil of spikenard. Now normally, uh, this process of washing the feet of a guest involved just water. And then they would put a dab of this oil uh, on, on the person's head, anoint their head with this oil. But Mary considered her costly oil good enough only for the feet of Jesus. Oil of spikenard comes from uh, a musk root, so it gives kind of a musky scent. It was highly valued during this time, and Mark's telling of this story has Judas referring to its value at 300 denarii, which is equivalent to a little over $35,000 today. So Mary chose to spend this time with Jesus when she could have been running around making preparations and being certain that their guests were all served. Have you ever spent time hosting a dinner or a party where you feel like at the end of it you never actually got time to enjoy the company? Well, Mary was enjoying the company. Mary made a decision between the, the busyness and spending time with Jesus. And what we learn from Mary at this moment is the importance of making wise choices in our faith journey. Luke's telling of the story has Jesus clarifying the attitude of Mary and Martha as uh, Mary or Martha being worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, he said. Mary has chosen the good part. And we also find in Luke, Mary is spending this time with Jesus to hear him and what he has to share. Mary is listening to the words of life. You see, in this act, Mary was humble as she bowed to Jesus, taking on the posture of a servant. She was selfless, thinking only of the one that she chose to serve. And she was extreme as she lavished, lavished the feet of Jesus with this prized possession. And then she used her hair as a towel. Mary was devoted to Christ. And she demonstrated her devotion through this act of washing his feet in a most unusual way. We are called to be devoted to our faith in a world that's consistently vying for our attention and eager to pull us 
into empty promises and momentary pleasures. Like Mary, we need to be devoted to the good part. And so we take a look at our second character this morning, and this is where we go to uh, Mount Moriah. We look at Abraham back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, and we hear this story in the first 14 verses of the chapter. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord... It will be provided. Abraham was a man of great faith. For years he was a a work in progress, in progress, as God continued to challenge and build his faith. Remember, Abraham and his wife Sarah were very old when they had Isaac. They waited many years for a son that God promised them was coming. And in these verses, we read a story that is not a test of Abraham's faith necessarily as much as an opportunity for Abraham's faith to be revealed. The first words out of Abraham's mouth are enough to prove his true allegiance. God calls to Abraham and he answers, Here I am. There was no hesitation, no second thought. Abraham had no idea what was coming next. And it didn't matter. He was ready. And he affirmed that by saying, Here I am. And as we read this passage, there's a great significance not only to what Abraham has to say, but to how God handles his command. He asks Abraham to take his only son, Isaac, the son that they waited so long to arrive. And God was asking him, 
to take his life in sacrifice. And up to this point, the word love has not been used in the book of Genesis. God chooses this moment to demonstrate the love between a father and his only son to demonstrate sacrificial love. When Abraham and his servants finally arrive at the place of sacrifice, just before Abraham and Isaac climbed the mountain, Abraham told the men that we would return. Now speculation is such that perhaps Abraham believed this was just a test. And he was playing along. However, scholars and theologians say that this was a moment where Abraham believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham is going on a promise here that that Isaac would carry on his line and his covenant. Another interesting fact to point out here is that up to this moment in Scripture, there's no evidence of God raising someone from the dead. So Abraham is acting in pure faith and devotion to God. Abraham acted out of a trust for God's will to be accomplished. And Abraham acted with a willing heart. In my research on Abraham, I read an author who said, he lived in a world, he lived in the world, but his heart was set on another country, his treasure on another currency, and his citizenship in another realm. Abraham's journey was filled with many trials, hardships, grief, and blessings. He didn't always know where life was going to take him, but he knew who was going to take him through it. And he knew that many years after his own death, God's promise would be completely fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our third example this morning is Paul. It's hard to know where to begin with Paul. (laughs) But I narrowed it down to his letter to the church at Philippi from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I know, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so in Paul, we see persistence and the strong desire to do the will of God in his life and ministry. He was chosen by God to share the gospel and his story of conversion. He traveled thousands of miles, visited uh, somewhere around 50 cities, was imprisoned for his cause, and 
throughout his letters in Scripture, we don't hear a man who's complaining about his work, but a man who's working towards an ultimate goal. And through his ministry, he makes it clear that he does not consider himself to have arrived at any perfect place in his faith journey. He approaches his ministry and his mission as a, a faithful servant seeking the Lord like any other sinful believer. And he writes in scripture about striving for the goal and seeking the prize. You could say of Paul that he is uncompromising in his relentless pursuit of a devoted relationship. You see, accepting Jesus as your savior is just the beginning from that moment that we begin a relationship with him, we have a lifetime journey here on this earth where we're called to seek him with full devotion and full commitment so that one day we can be with him in his kingdom. That is the ultimate goal. That is where our treasure and our reward will be found. And Paul demonstrates this through his devotion <clears throat> to the Lord. Here is where we can show our true devotion. Here is where we can demonstrate our commitment to serving only him and seeking an eternity with him. In addition, Paul demonstrates great courage in his pursuit. We know that he was not received well <laughs> wherever he went. He was lowered in a basket in Damascus in order to escape the guards. He was stoned in Lystra. In 2 Timothy 3.11 we read, Persecutions, suffering, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, and the last sentence, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Paul is not afraid to suffer as Christ suffered. Paul denied himself to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Paul says, forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. Paul is persistent in his devotion to Christ and his church. He's courageous and he is uncompromising as he takes on the challenges of ministry and the mission field. So let's go back to those three questions for a moment. What does it take to be completely devoted to Christ and his teachings of the church? We, we get these characteristics from these three examples that we need to be humble. We need to be selfless sacrificial. We need to be trustworthy, trusting in him. We must come with a willing heart. Sometimes we're called to be extreme, persistent, courageous, and uncompromising. And as we look at number two and we talk about where we can uh, grow in the area of devotion, that is something that is personal. We need to evaluate where we are now in our relationship with the Lord. Does your devotion look like Mary at the feet of Jesus, Abraham ready to trust the Lord and his will? Can you deny yourself, the person who you are today, and commit to living a fully devoted life like Paul? Now, don't get me wrong. We're not all called to live devoted lives that look exactly like these biblical examples. So how do we make devotion personal? What are your resources? What are your talents and abilities? What can you use to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? It might stretch you a little. It might put some limitations on life as you now know it. 
But don't think of it as putting limits on yourself, but giving God the opportunity to be unlimited in your life. And the third question that we talked about today was, how can I demonstrate my devotion? And we're going to be talking more about this in the coming weeks, but I want to challenge you to make these questions personal, to keep them in prayer, and God will surely reveal to you where you need to grow and how you might be able to demonstrate devotion and commitment. Several weeks ago, Mike laid out the vision for St. John's as we move into the future. The example set before us was that of the first church. He used this diagram where we see where we need to begin and become and belong. And in all that this first church did in the book of Acts, in the unity of their congregation, the key to their success was the devotion of their individual members. We need to make devotion personal before we can be devoted to the cause of Jesus Christ. We need to be clear about our own devotion before we can be responsible for the devotion of others and ultimately the devotion of the church. Maybe you were more devoted once and you've taken a back seat to let the younger generation or new believers do all the work. Maybe you're questioning your own relationship with the Lord and you need the opportunity to recommit. Maybe the examples of faithful servants in the Bible leave you feeling defeated and unable to ever measure up. Well, I want to tell you the story this morning of a man who lived in a small town with his wife and children. They were very active in one of the largest and most vibrant Methodist churches in their community. The church had lots of families, many senior citizens who were active in ministry, geared towards their generation. They had a large youth group that played a major role in the community, attended annual retreats, and met weekly to study the word and give other kids the opportunity to attend and invite their friends. This man was one of the leaders of the church. Over the years, he played many roles, Sunday school teacher, lay leader, Sunday school superintendent, and when the pastor was away, he was most likely the guy to fill the pulpit. As time went on, it became apparent that no one knew was coming to the church. All of the ministries were thriving, but the older generation was slowly being called home. The children were growing into adults who could decide for themselves when and where to go to church. And the bills for such a large church were next to impossible to pay. Some would have thrown in the towel, and some did. But this man would not let the ministry of the church disappear in a community that was starving for Jesus. And so a group of devoted adults put together a plan that the three Methodist churches in town would merge into one building, save money on monthly bills, share in the cost of apportionments, and use the money from the sale of the churches to rebuild their ministry. It was controversial from day one. In the midst of their information gathering, praying, working with the conference, and plotting for their future, one of the churches dropped out of the plan. The other two churches plowed forward, and this man worked hard to get everyone on board and keep the plans focused. 
And finally, the day came when one building sold and the other two remaining churches took over the other building. A handful left from both churches because they couldn't see the vision for the future. But the man who led the charge remained steadfast, devoted, and focused, loyal to Jesus and his church. And it did not go unnoticed. To many, this man was a leader, a spiritual mentor, an accountability partner, and a prayer warrior. But to his only son, he was dad. He was a man of God who would not sit back and watch the ministry of the church fade away. He was the spiritual head of the house who prayed daily for his children, his wife, and his church. And because of his devotion, another man stands before you this morning with a heart for ministry, a heart for the lost, and a devotion to the one who that we're called to serve. Thank you, Dad. We read in 1 Thessalonians, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Devotion comes from the admiration of something or someone. Devotion is a desire to commit to someone or something that captures and captivates our attention. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the hope of the world. The kingdom of God is going to be filled with the people who choose him. God alone can be your resource. He'll provide you with the energy that you need and what he wants you to do once you've surrendered and devoted your life to his will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these verses. We thank you for this message that comes from you at a very appropriate time as we look to grow the church. And Father, I pray that now as we prepare to go our separate ways, that you would continue to convict us, to examine our own lives, perhaps reorder our priorities, and consider the one who saved us might also be the one who saves so many others that as we grow the church, we'd also grow the kingdom of heaven. Lord, let our lives be witnesses for you and in all that we do. Lord, let it be a testimony to lives changed by Christ so that others would get a saving knowledge and gain a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.